For those who don't know me, my name is Ephraim, and I'm one of the elders, and it's a blessing to be um, sharing with you today. Since the turn of the year, we've been giving focus to a particular topic or theme being that of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And um, I feel as though this needs to be so much more, but there are two issues with that. Um, when you try and do too much, you end up not doing as much as you think you really actually could achieve, and it can become quite labored. And so I'm very mindful of that. Um, I'm very mindful of the fact that what we share on a Sunday is really just a supplement to your daily intake of the word and your relationship with the God, with God. And so in that sense, you're to take away what you're hearing and go and seek the scriptures and seek that it's so and prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And so in as much as we would love to do and I would love to do, um, I appreciate that actually we cannot walk your walk for you as pastors and as leaders and as Bible teachers. Um, but you have to take ownership and take responsibility and um, cherish the freedom that we have in the Word of God in this country. You know, we, there are countries where people, they've only seen like fragments of Scripture. To see a Bible is, is a life-changing, monumental experience. Um, places where you cannot take Bibles openly into their country. And so we have the freedom, a freedom which we so often take for granted. And so I, I'd encourage you um, to ponder and meditate on these things. Um, I'm intending that this will be my last week in this matter. But you notice that it's already got a built-in disclaimer that I'm, I'm intending. So... Let's see how the Lord would have us um, go forward. <clears throat> it's fundamental to the Christian experience that we would have a day-to-day -day ongoing relationship with God. Now, I say it specifically in that way. It is fundamental to our Christian experience that we would have a day-to-day relationship with God. Now, the primary means by which that would happen is us actually having relationship with God the Spirit. It's something that we have been afforded through Christ. And yet, just like the freedom of God's word, it's something that we may be, one, ignorant of, or two, take for granted in terms of the extent to which we actually seek to develop a relationship with God. Now, relationships are always a two-way experience. Otherwise, there's dysfunction in it. Something's wrong. If a relationship is not two-sided, there's something wrong in that picture. And this is the sense that we get as we consider the Holy Spirit and how we're to relate to him. There is a clear sense that we are to be intentional in the way in which we 
relate to God, the Spirit, as we are seeking Christ and the pleasure of the Father. Often, the motivation to do that might not come quickly or readily. We can be so distracted by other things in life, it's only in those church moments or in our devotional moments or those moments when we just happen to put on a worship song that we actually are brought to that place of focus. But there is one challenge that everyone in life experiences in some way or another. Everyone. I used to work in the career service for many years. And in the career service, I was working with adults. Um, I first started running job clubs where people who had been unemployed for six months or more would come and get help trying to find work, help with their application forms and CVs and all of that type of thing. And then I got involved in running executive job clubs. And so these were job clubs for individuals who were professionals. Um, maybe they had professional qualifications or um, they, they had degrees, etc. They had management experience and one of the things that was common, even whilst working with young people, it was very, very consistent that as I'm working with these individuals, regardless of what stage or age in terms of life, they would have this kind of sense of lostness. They'd have this sense of, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing in life. I don't know where I'm meant to be going. And in fact, it was working with those people on a day-to-day -day basis that actually motivated me to get into the ministry, to respond to that call of God, to actually give myself to preaching and teaching the Word of God. Because even as I was helping these people to kind of work practically through, well, you know, what are your skills? What's your experience? What things are you inclined towards? What are your interests? And going through all of these kind of personal audits and helping them to really assess and evaluate and try and focus and narrow down and giving them psychometric tests and da 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 da, da. I realized that it was only offering so much. I'm speaking to executives who have been in a profession for 25 years and they've given their life to it only at that point in time to feel like, what was it all for? What's the point? And I realized that people needed more. They needed a deeper sense of direction, a deeper sense of purpose. And even for us as Christians, we can find ourselves in a place where actually we have moments of lostness. When we're uncertain and we're unsure, should I buy this house? Should I marry this person? Should I take that job? What school should my children go to? And we have these moments where we're in need of direction. We're in need of guidance. We're in need of help. Some of you will recognize this if you've been driving for any length of time. It was like, it was the death of the A to Z. It was, this is, this is an a old school sat-nav. 
Garmin, you know. And I remember when they, they, they came out and I was thinking, oh, that's wonderful. You can have this thing sitting on your dashboard and it's going to give you direction. And then I saw the prices, like £299. I was just like, what? And then as phones developed and smartphones got more popular, you could buy a chip that you could put in your phone. Imagine that, 80 pounds, you know. And you buy this, you could buy this if, if your phone could take the chip. But back in those days, sat-navs were notorious for misleading people, misdirecting people. You put in a postcode, following the sat-nav, find yourself in the field. <laughs> this happened numerous times. And so it's one thing to have direction. There are lots of things in life that offer us direction. It's another thing to have reliable direction, reliable guidance, accurate direction. And we are called on in Scripture to walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So as we're wrestling with the trials and temptations of life, as we're wrestling with those opportunities to do our own thing against that which is the will of God, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not be given to those things. In fact, Romans 8 says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so this is a, a fundamental expectation of our Christian experience. How aware are you of God leading you on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis? What confidence do you have in recognizing God's leading? What comfort do you derive from experiencing God's leading? And so let's pray as we take some time to consider how we're to be led by the Spirit of the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that truly you are faithful. There is none like you. And even, Lord, as I stand here, I stand here recognizing my need to be led by you. Recognize, recognizing my frailty, recognizing my weakness, recognizing my sinfulness. And yet rejoicing in the grace and forgiveness of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Because you gave yourself to bring me into relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And as we look to you today, Lord, we can have confidence in you. Not based on ourselves, not based on our own merits or our own efforts, not based on our own alertness, cleverness, or ingenuity. But Lord, we are able to look to you with confidence because of Jesus. 
because of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. Because of the fact that you have brought us into relationship with yourself. So I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and minds. That you would encourage, strengthen, and edify us, Lord. And we ask this for the glory of your Son. Amen. And so we previously considered the fact that the Holy Spirit is God and his presence among his people and within his people was promised from ages, affirmed by Jesus Christ and fulfilled that God has brought about the fulfillment of his promise by sending his spirit to transform corrupt sinful hearts and make them alive, to resurrect our hearts from the dead, to live inside those who are his, immersing us, baptizing us into the body of Christ. By means of the Holy Spirit. And so in that we recognize that God is present. But God isn't just present. He is at work. And in as much as there's an inner work that takes place in the life of somebody who becomes a Christian and gives their life to Christ. There is also an outward expression of that. Now that outward expression fundamentally denotes us being led by God. There's no doubt there's a, a, a level at which we're led by God, but we're not aware. I was speaking to someone the other day, and they shared about how they were led by God to a situation where they needed to be at that precise moment in time. And they are very confident and clear that they were led by God because they were trying to go the opposite direction. They were trying to go in the opposite direction and despite the fact that they were trying to go that way, they couldn't. And so they had to revert and resort back to the way that they would have gone if they weren't trying to go in the opposite direction. Now, they weren't trying to go in the opposite direction like Jonah. God, I, don't, I know you're sending me over here. And often that's how we feel when we talk about the leading of God, right? Lord, you're telling me to marry this person and I can't stand them. Lord, you're, you're sending me to the, to the mission field of, of outer Mongolia and I, and I just can't take flies. And we feel like that's what the leading of God must be about. But there is a sense in which the Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And so there is a... a and if you like, a, a below conscious level at which God is constantly leading us, even in ways that we don't understand. And often we only understand in hindsight. And so when that individual was taking a choice of which way to go and they was going to go left and they was trying to go that direction and it didn't work out and then they turned and they went right. And actually when, when they went right, they, they came up across a situation that 
they had to intervene in. They needed to be there at that time. In hindsight, they were able to recognize that actually, look at the Lord. And there were so many other incidences and so many other activities in that situation that showed that God was sovereignly in control, ordering affairs. Like pieces on a chessboard. And yet there are times when we need that conscious leading of the Lord. There are times when we need to be aware in advance. Or at least be able to have faith in advance that God is leading us in a particular way. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this, verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is the helper. It makes me think of the psalmist. It says that the Lord is a very present help in our time of need. This is speaking of the Spirit of the Lord as he's present among us. And that word helper is really quite a soft translation because that word helper actually is better translated empowerer, enabler, strengthener. And so he gives us capacity beyond that which we have in ourselves. And yet the father has sent him and look, primary role, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now we understand that in its primary sense, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples who will become the apostles and he is affirming them to them, even though I'm going, you won't be left on your own to work this thing out. All that I've told you, all that I've commissioned you to do, you're not going to be on your own. The Spirit of God is going to come and he's going to help you. And he's going to teach you to understand the things that I've been telling you because they didn't really get it. And he will remind you of the things that I've said to you. And so even this we see the foundation and fundamental essence of how we have the rest of the New Testament. How is it that after the Gospels, and even the Gospels, we actually have these writings that are regarded to be Scripture? Because these individuals experienced the reality of this promise that Jesus made. And so it wasn't just, you know, people say, oh, the Bible is just written by men. But Jesus says, no. There are individuals who I teach by my spirit or I have taught by my spirit and who I have given accurate recollection of the things concerning my life and my teaching. And I've given them understanding and insight so that they can make that known. And so hence we have the New Testament. 
So that's the primary understanding. And anytime we're reading the scriptures and want to understand what it says, we always have to think, who was it written to? What did it mean to them? But that's not all that is of value in this. Because this is a promise to all of God's children. Jesus said this, when the spirit of truth comes, John 16, 13, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so again, we see this principle of truth being communicated to those who would be apostles. And yet, as we receive this as truth, we have to receive it with understanding that it wasn't first to us, but it is for us. Now, this raises an issue that is quite greatly debated. There are those on one hand who would say, God doesn't speak today. Everything that he said, he's, he's going to say he's already said and there's nothing more to be said. So if you as an individual would say, you know what, I really feel like the Lord is telling me, they would look at you and be just like, really? Because as far as they're concerned, as an individual, you, you don't have that kind of license and liberty to say that God is saying anything to you. Then on the other hand, there are those who are, Every thought and idea, every impulse and emotion that comes to them is God. I had a revelation this morning. I need to put aside the cornflakes. <laughs> and so, you can have the example of two extremes. I don't side with either of the extremes. I agree that God has spoken and all that he is going to say, he has said. And I agree with that because that's what the scripture says in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke to the forefathers, the people, by means of the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And you hear the sense of finality in that. And in the, in, and in the Greek, it's even more clear. God has spoken. Full stop, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation. God has spoken. So there isn't anything new that God has to say. Because he has spoken and he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. They say if it's new, then it ain't true. And yet, having said that, we appreciate that that doesn't conflict with the sense of God being able to speak to his people by his spirit. 
today. Now, what does that mean? How does that work? I don't think we need to overcomplicate it. I think we just need to look at the words of Jesus and accept them to be true. Let's go back. John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 16.13, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on what? His own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so there's a clear sense that the Holy Spirit is simply seeking to glorify Christ. And anything that the Holy Spirit would say to anyone today would resonate with and be consistent with Jesus Christ. He is merely reiterating Jesus. He is restating Jesus. He is applying the truths of Jesus. And so, there isn't anything that we can experience today that is apart from Christ and say it's from God. But the Holy Spirit is present. And he's at work in us. And he leads us in the way of Christ. And he speaks to us concerning the things of Jesus. And so when it comes to, and we're not going to go into all of it now. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14... The Apostle Paul speaks about the gifts of the Spirit, the, enable, the enablings that the Holy Spirit will give to individuals, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, as he wills. So he, would, he will operate or work these enablings, these abilities in individuals when he's ready at the times that he sees fit. And one of these things is prophecy. And so people would typically think, prophecy, that means you're going to predict the future. Prophesy the lottery. But prophecy was never first and foremost predicting the future. Prophecy was, um, to, to coin a phrase, first and foremost to tell forth the word of God rather than to foretell the future. Prophecy is to speak forth the word of God with direct application to the moment or the situation. And so when we look at the ministry of the prophets, this is exactly what they done. The prophets had the word of God. In the Old Testament, it was the law given through Moses. And they would speak the law to the situation of the nation when they were out of order and when they were in need of correction or when they were in need of encouragement or in, when they were in need of comfort. And so 
people. You are turning to idols. You must repent and worship God alone because you will have no other gods before or beside him. And then they'll continue and they'll be, look, you need to repent. Otherwise, God is. And so then they begin to predict the future. If you continue in your sinful state, rebelling against the word of God, this is what's going to happen. The emphasis wasn't on fortune telling. <laughs> and I am deeply, deeply convinced, deeply convicted that in our experience as Christians, one, we need to understand this principle and two, we need to be experiencing it in relationship with one another as we're relating with the Lord. There are some of you who have experienced that and you appreciate and understand the difference that it's made to your life. You've been going through a situation and somebody has shared a, a, a scripture or an encouragement in that moment, at that time, even in a, in a way that they didn't understand how it was connecting with you. And you in that moment had that sense of, thank you, Lord. I know that you're with me. I know that you hear my prayer. I know that you hear my cry. We become a very poor, sickly, deficient church if we are not given to experiencing and sharing these, sharing life in this way. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 to 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast that. Hold fast what is good. Going King James on you. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And so here we see a clear sense that actually... We can, we see the word quench, that's kind of old school, right? I mean, we're not talking about Sprite, quench your first. It's not satisfying that sense, but it's more a sense of suppress or stifle. Do not suppress the Holy Spirit. How guilty have we been of suppressing the Spirit of the Lord? Even to the extent that it's resulted in other people experiencing lack, experiencing dysfunction in relationship with God. Now, contextually, we have to bear in mind that the original text didn't have verse numbers. And there is a clear sense that following that instruction not to suppress the spirit one of the ways in which that happens is by despising prophecies do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies and again if we have the wrong view of prophecy we're not even going to begin to engage with that but if we understand prophecy as being speaking forth the word of god I mean, there's 66 books in the Bible. 
um, was it 118,000 chapters, something like that? How many, how many, how many, how many, how many thousands of verses? We've got the whole of the scripture in our hand at any given time. We could share anything from anywhere with anyone, provided we treat it contextually, obviously. So there's so much that God has to say to us, that it's so much that he has for us from his word. It's, in, it's inexhaustible. But if we don't value, if we don't appreciate, if we despise those applicational stating of scriptures one to another, we can miss what God is saying to us because we're suppressing or quenching the spirit of the Lord. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Conditional, right? So it's not everything that someone says is from the Lord, is from the Lord. You know, there are a few fundamental mistakes that people who are really open and willing and given to engaging with God in this way, there are some fundamental mistakes that are often made. One of those is every suspicion that I have is from God. God's showing me something. Sometimes it's called a spirit of discernment. Hmm. Zebedee just came in the room. Hmm. Certain things must be going on in Zebedee's life. Hmm. <laughs> A word for the Lord, from the Lord for, for Zebedee afterwards. And it's founded and based on nothing other than suspicion. Just because something may be suspicious to us, <laughs> it doesn't mean that God is alerting us to something that he wants to speak into. Another mistake, placing God's name on our own desires. I really feel the Lord's calling me to go to Malibu. <laughs> I've just had visions of Malibu for weeks and months. This time I've been browsing on the internet, you know. Looking at holiday sites. And <laughs> feel like the Lord's calling me to go to Malibu. And so I have to be careful. It's not that the Lord couldn't call me to go to Malibu, right? But when we find ourselves in situations that that which the Lord is calling us to is most desirable to us, we have to stop and just put a, a check in, the, in place. We have to ask and scrutinize, is this really the Lord or is this me? Now, asking the question is good enough. It's important that we would even do that. But sometimes we have to know how 
we might recognize the answer. So are there other circumstances which would correspond with or corroborate that sense of God's leading? Are there other things external to myself? And again, I don't just mean, you know what? I opened my internet browser and there was just this ad for Malibu because our cookies, our internet browser cookies are being fed ads because, you know, we were looking at Malibu. That was the Lord. You see that ad for Malibu? We have to be cautious. There are oftentimes ways in which the Lord will co-sign or validate his sense of leading in ways that are external to us. They may well be circumstantial. And in and of themselves, no one of those things should be something that we should stake our lives on. But they are means by which God can strengthen our faith as it relates to pursuing his will. So, before we moved into this building, we had been praying about trying to get a new building. Situation got to that place where we just we needed to get somewhere. And at that point, initially, we weren't even looking for our own building, we were just looking for a better situation. But as we prayed, we were open to, you know what? Maybe this is, a, maybe we need to be looking for our own building. Now, you have to understand, I mean, we went to look at a building in Deptford and um, it was a, a church owned a building, but it was quite a modern church building. And the building, I think at that point was, um, on offer for 2.1 million. Yeah. Now, I don't know, what's, what's a commercial deposit? Who knows about these things? I mean, 10%? Nah, 20%, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, 20% deposit of 2 million. Somebody help me do the maths. Don't that sound like 400,000 pounds to you? How much? 420. Like. And so as much as we were stepping out in faith and we were exploring, you know, even looking at buildings and so on, it was kind of like, mm, Lord, is this the one? Now, the Lord could have given the gift of faith. It could have been his purpose to drop that money on us. And yes, this is the one. Let's pursue conversation. Let's explore. And press on and speak to solicitors and da 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 I mean, it would get to the point where if it was God if, and he's guiding, then he'd have to be providing. And there was no sign of that provision in that way. We, it's not as if we weren't open to it. But half a million pounds weren't just about to drop on our lap in, in any way that we could see. But we weren't trying to limit God. But also, we weren't trying to limit God as, this is the one that you have for us, Lord. We lay hands on this building and claim it in Jesus' name. No, we're just like, Lord, lead us. Where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to be? Somebody says, we're having a conversation with someone, and they say, 
oh, you know, I've got somebody um, who works for the London City Mission, and they said that they've got a, a building in Lewisham um, that's being redeveloped, and they're looking for a church to, to take it on. And so I'm sitting down, and I'm hearing this conversation, and I'm thinking to myself, this sounds quite familiar. I remember having a conversation maybe two years before with someone who said the same thing to me. And at that time, I think actually we may have even just moved into St. Peter's. And I wasn't really thinking about trying to move again and da 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 da. And I didn't really kind of take it seriously. I was just like, oh, whereabouts in Lewisham? And I was like, oh, in central Lewisham. Da -da -da. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Didn't pay any mind, didn't give it any thought. Sounded like a nice idea, but timing just didn't seem right. Two years later, someone else, yeah, someone works at London City Mission and they got this building. You know what? You need to give them a call. By this time, you're kind of getting this sense of the Lord's pulling your shirt. Come on, man. I've been trying to talk to you about this for a while. <laughs> so it's like, okay, we make a call. We start having conversations. And we could have just thought, look, you know what? We don't have the money. And really and truly, we just need to find another church premises that we can just rent out and just, it's affordable, taking on this lease and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But as we began to talk, it was clear that the Lord was just putting all the pieces into place. And that this was his leading. And it wasn't even as if we had to kind of, by force, find faith. But it was just evident that, actually, this relationship with London City Mission had great grace upon it. And there was a willingness on their part for them to meet us. And there was an ability by God's grace on our part to meet them. And there were other aspects to it that began to flourish that we didn't even foresee that went beyond the relationship of a leaseholder and landlord. And so in as much as we desired a building, in as much as we desired somewhere to be, it wasn't just based on our own desire. In fact, when we, when we got to the building, and we, like, in here was dusty, they hadn't even finished working in here yet, and they hadn't laid the floor and all of this, and we kind of walked in and walked around, and it was like, went into the small hall, went into the kitchen, came out, was thinking, where's the rest of it? Because there was no doubt that for us to move meant for us to downsize. We were running like, I don't know, 180, 200 people a service. And so did it make sense? Lord, is this really you? Are we going to just up sticks and go to a smaller building where, uh, how's that going to work? And the Lord's like, oh, I thought you lot were about church planting. I thought you was about sending out and establish, establishing new works. So I'm like, hmm, okay. Didn't say anything. Pastor P's like, you know what? With this move, I think that this is the, the point at which it's going to be right for me to just follow that leading of the Lord to go back into Dulwich where we started. I live in Dulwich. I've always had a heart for Dulwich. And 
maybe this is the right time for me to go back and start a new work there. And it's like, you know what? Well, that would solve our size problem, you know? And so again, we recognize that through the combination of, okay, we're going into a situation where we're not having to rob anyone. We're not having to steal from anyone in order to do the will of God. So we're within the confines of Scripture. We're walking within the character of Christ. But more specifically, actually, God has been orchestrating circumstance and situations to affirm and validate the fact that this is his leading and his will. And so even as we were progressing in seeking the will of God and being led by him, we were testing everything and holding on to what is good. And so that might be you. Um, so often, the way in which the Lord leads is, it's not so much what we're to do, but what we're not to do. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We see the Apostle Paul, he has the mandate to preach the gospel. And he endeavors to try, try and go to, to this one place. I think it was Macedonia. And he said, the Lord forbid me to go. Now you think like, the Lord's forbid you to go. Okay, there's a reason why God doesn't want you to go to that place. And so then he looks for somewhere else to go and goes there instead. And so there are certain things in which the Lord has given us liberty. And we can exercise that liberty. And we can pray for wisdom as we exercise that liberty. So often we overcomplicate what it means to be led by God and to know his will. Just trust the Lord and step out in the opportunity that you have that is right and righteous. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil. The earth is the Lord's. You want to go to Malibu? You don't have to put the Lord's name on it. You have an opportunity to go to Malibu, commit it to the Lord. Is he saying no? Is, is, maybe it's the wrong timing. It's not working out. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to try and force it. Is he deviating you to go somewhere else? Evidently, no. Well, then go to Malibu. So often, when it comes to being led by the Lord and how we work out our salvation, we can overcomplicate it by adding all kinds of other expectations. When God spoke to Gideon in the book of Judges, God's intention was for Gideon to say, yes, Lord, and go and do his will. And it was in that that Gideon said, Lord, you know what? I'm scared. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, here's a fleece, a lamb's fleece. I'm going to put it out, and if you will make it wet and the ground dry, then I'll know that it's you, and God does it. Oh, okay. Looks like it's the Lord, you know. But I'm scared. 
Lord, please, I'm going to put the lamb's fleece out again. And if you would make the ground wet and the fleece dry, then I would know that it's you. And sometimes we are putting fleeces and we're putting things before the Lord. When the Lord's just saying, go and do my will. You don't have to overcomplicate it. Just trust me. So, the Lord will lead us, and the Lord will lead us according to the word. We say it so often, all of scripture speaks of, of Christ. And as we are rightly dividing scripture and seeking to fulfill it, we are being led by God. Now, I emphasize rightly dividing. Paul said to Timothy, rightly divide the word of God. Meaning, it can also be wrongly divided. And this is why we have a lot of things that are done in the name of the Lord today that are not actually of the Lord. Because people are taking verses out of context and using them to build a whole doctrine, a whole teaching, a whole worldview on a verse that's been taken out of context. And so it's important that we rightly divide the word and as we seek to do that and we grow in our knowledge of the truth the Holy Spirit will use scripture to direct us and to guide us now these verses are um, verses that are often taken out of context. And I'll give you an example in a minute. But they're actually very helpful and encouraging and comforting verses. 1 John 2, 26, 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true... And is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the Apostle John is writing to the believers. And he's writing about those who have gone out from among them. And have denied the deity of Christ. And they're coming with other teachings and other doctrines and other ideas. And they're trying to deceive the believers. And he says, the anointing that you have received from him, from the Lord, abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, there are those who would take that to say, you know what? I don't need no pastor. I don't need no Bible teacher. I have the anointing. And in this case... The anointing is a term that is being used for the presence of the Holy Spirit. There are various um, items that are used as metaphors or symbols for the Holy Spirit. Water is one of them. Wind is another. Fire is another. Oil is another. And oil is particularly associated with um, what would be called anointing to anoint with oil or to rub with oil. And that signified the um, empowering presence of God. 
So they would anoint the priest and they would anoint the king in the Old Testament. We see it in Psalms 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the anointing oil running from Aaron's beard. So, I have the anointing. The scripture says, I have no need that anyone should teach me. So, tell me nothing. I just go in my prayer closet with my Bible and I will come with the revelation. Is that what the text is meaning? Is that rightly understanding what the text is saying? When we consider it in the context of scripture as a whole? It could never be saying that. It could never be saying that. Because in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says, and God has given as gifts to the body of Christ the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor teacher. In Romans 12, the gift of teaching. In 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of teaching. So God gives the gift of teaching only for it to be made redundant because actually if you're anointed enough, you don't need a teacher. Not at all. There is a sense in which actually we who have received the spirit of the Lord can have confidence and assurance that he will help us ultimately to understand truth. In a day and age when they would look to who's the most authoritative teacher. So sometimes we'll quote Bible scholars. And it's, it's a means by which we want to help affirm to you that this isn't just some idea that we've made up. But there are other people who've spent time looking into the word and they concur with what we're saying. And you can get a sense of confidence from that. Now, if that was our only authority... If that was the only basis, you could turn around and trump my scholar with your scholar. So who's right? And so as we receive teaching, when it comes to understanding what we're receiving, even when teaching is in conflict, we can have confidence that for those who are in Christ, actually, we have the spirit of the Lord. And he will help us. And it doesn't mean that in an instant we're going to consider two things and get an understanding and be able to say yes. Sometimes we have to ponder. Sometimes we have to meditate on the word. We have to think it over. Take some time and patiently do our research. And sometimes we need to leave a decision on the shelf and come back to it. But we can have confidence that we have this inner working of God, helping us to understand those things that we cannot understand of our own natural minds. And so in this, let's be encouraged because the Holy, speaks to, Holy Spirit speaks to us in the language of Jesus. And as we are led by him, we are aided by him to increasingly understand the language of Jesus and what God is saying 
through Christ to us daily in any given moment. It's not merely a matter of our own ideas or ingenuity. It's not merely a matter of our individualistic understanding. We learn of God in community. I remember being, um, I was going to say, I remember being really arrogant, like as if I never am arrogant anymore. But no, I remember a time when, when it came to the truth of God, I was in a place where the, the environment that I was in um, actually encouraged a certain arrogance, a certain self-reliance. There was this kind of sense of, you know, if you have been to the throne room, and in those days, we didn't just mean it metaphorically. Like, you know, we were literally seeking to be caught away into an ethereal experience. And you spent time with God and you come back with a revelation of understanding that no one else has ever brought. And you would get ratings and you would get esteemed. And, you'd, and there was this kind of sense of standing on verses like this. You, you don't need anyone to teach you. If you're spiritual enough, if you're anointed enough, you can hear from God for yourself. And I remember being challenged on that and one day sitting down thinking... But hold on, if I have the same Holy Spirit that other believers have, who are looking at the same scriptures, surely if I appreciate and value the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of me, then I have to likewise appreciate and value the presence of the Holy Spirit in any other believer. Otherwise, why should anyone actually listen to me? And not even just from a selfish point of view, but God is no respecter of persons. So if they're looking at the same scriptures that I'm looking at and they have a view, then actually if I'm going to be true to the Lord and I'm going to be faithful to him, I should be willing to hear what he might be saying through one of his other people. And that taught me humility, to approach the word with humility and to approach God's people with an, a, a, a humble and um, willing heart. Because there's no doubt that I was unteachable. Even that somebody said, you know, you, you should go to Bible college. And I was just like, what? Bible college? The seminaries are cemeteries. People just go there to die spiritually. But no, we're blessed to be able to fellowship even with dead saints who have left us the fruit of their relationship with God through their writings. And we're able to glean from their experience in their journey with the Lord. And we're able to read and take it in and weigh it against scripture because no one's name is greater than the name of Christ. And no one has any authority over that of the scripture. And so as I weigh everything and I prove and test everything as according to the word, truly, I'm able to experience richer, healthier, greater relationship with God. 
And so, to be led by the Spirit requires us to be given to the Word. That's the fundamental truth. And as we're given to the Word in our own personal study and receiving it from others, as we're conscientiously and considerately weighing circumstances as God uses them in our lives, we're able to grow in our ability to recognize and understand God's leading and how wonderful it is to be led by him. Are you being led by God? As I finish, the fundamental thing I would say is you would know if you are being led by God if you have been led to receive Christ and submit your life to him. Jesus made it clear that the Holy Spirit is present at work in every individual's lives. Those who know him, those who don't, those who want to, those who could care less. He is at work. The Bible says that he convicts the world of sin. He convicts the world of righteousness and he convicts the world of judgment that is to come. And so to be led by God, to be led by the Spirit, is first to embrace that conviction that he brings and recognize that he is right always and we're wrong. And yet, he has provided the remedy who is Jesus Christ. We cannot say we're led by God unless we have relationship with the Father through Christ. First John chapter 2. No one can say that they have the Father if they don't have the Son. No one can say they are led by God. No one can say that they are spiritual. No one, if they don't have Christ. Back in the day, uh, a group that we used to be really into and we kind of built relationship with Cross Movement, they used to have a song, Spare Rituals, is by the fanatic. He said, without Christ, it ain't spiritual. It's nothing but a bunch of spare rituals. Without Christ, it ain't spiritual. There is no spiritual leading. There is no following God unless you are submitted to Christ because that is the first place that the Holy Spirit leads us to. Amen. I'm going to invite the team back. Let's stand. I want to challenge you this week. Try and be intentionally sensitive to God's leading. 
it may be somebody that is just on your mind and you can't get them off your mind and you may be inclined to pray for them. It may be an opportunity to take God at his word and pray that he would heal someone. I was talking to Kian last night and um, she's had a, she had a, a, a persistent issue with her um, ankle. Ankle? I'm going to tell you a testimony. It's all right. I'm allowed to. I'm your dad, innit? <laughs> and um, she had this persistent, like, you mash up my thing now, man. I, can't, I don't feel like I can't say it. <laughs> uh, long story short, having had this persistent pain, some friends at work prayed for her. She works in a Christian organization. And she got home from work and on the phone with Chloe, her sister, and Chloe's like, oh, how's your foot? Because we've been debating in the family group. Yeah, you need to go doctors. And Kia's like, oh, that's long. Da, 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 da. So Chloe's like, how's your foot? Kian just very matter of fact said, well, I think God's healed it. And I'm like, huh? And she said, yeah, yeah, some friends pray for me at work and the swelling's gone down and the pain's much less. And, and I was just like, look at the Lord. And I was, I was rejoicing and I was encouraged and I was challenged because that wasn't the first thing that I done when she showed me her ankle and said that she's got a pain. I was just like, wow, look at the Lord. And those faithful believers, they took opportunity. Yeah, you got a problem? Let's pray. And they laid hands and they asked God to do something. And in that instance, he chose to. And so... It may be an opportunity for you to pray for someone. And it might not be for healing. It may be for comfort. It may be for encouragement. It, you know, it could be for provision. It could be for anything. It could be praying with them or praying in their absence. It may be sending them a, 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 a word or making a phone call, inviting someone over. Sometimes the Lord gnaws away at our conscience, at our hearts, and says, connect, speak, share, pray, or withdraw, be still, don't say nothing. Let's, this week, be intentional about just being sensitive to the Lord and how he may be speaking to us in the given situations that we face. Because he never gets it wrong. And if we're following him, we're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh and we're going to experience fruitfulness and we're going to experience joy and we're going to experience the, the righteousness of God and peace. Who doesn't want that? What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful promise. Father God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. And Lord, you know, we just recognize that we so often are backward in coming forward. You said in your word in, in James chapter 4 that we don't have because we don't ask. Like how, that's, that's crazy. We don't have, not because you don't want it, it's not because you can't, not be, but just because we don't ask so often, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to develop a sensitivity to you. One that is receptive to your word, that is a teachable heart, Lord. 
willing to obey. One that doesn't suppress or stifle you by reason of giving ourselves to wrong things, Lord, but that we would abstain from those things in ways that would allow us to just have a clear channel, clear and open channel with you, Lord. And so we just look to you, Lord, and we ask that you would teach us just as Jesus said you would. Teach us, Holy Spirit, we ask. Teach us to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this precious promise and for your commitment to work in us according to your will and good pleasure. In Jesus' name. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.